0: This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi, and a good moed to you, a wonderful intermediate days of Pesach to you, um, coming to you here live as we are on Wednesday, 2.10, just gone 2.10 on our clock here in the studio, um, on this beautiful day of Chol Hamoed of the intermediate days of Pesach. So today we'll chat a little bit about Cholamoyed, we'll chat a little bit about the upcoming last days of Pesach and um, then some thoughts about what it all actually means for us and how this kind of sums up and uh, brings to fruition or brings to an end. Um, all of the Pesach festivities. But let me tell you that Ethiopian Airlines, the largest and fastest growing airline in Africa, launched a third daily flight between Johannesburg and Addis Ababa on the 1st of April 2018. With multiple connecting flights to many other worldwide destinations, this new flight is perfect for passengers traveling to and from Tel Aviv, especially with our promotional fare starting from 6,444 rand Currently on sale. That's an unbelievable price, six thousand four hundred and forty four Rand. Come fly with us on the state of the art Boeing seven eighty seven Dreamliner and enjoy award winning onboard services. For more information, please contact your preferred travel agent or visit our website on www.ethiopianairlines.com. one word dot com. Ethiopian Airlines, the new spirit of Africa, a Star Alliance member, and remember the T's and C's do apply. Well, as I said, wonderful to be with you on this day of Chol HaMoyed, of uh, the intermediate days. And Yes, let's just take a look at that name for these days that are the intermediate days as they're called in English. But really in the classic, in halachic terminology, in Jewish terminology, it is Chol HaMoyed. It is the Chol, the weekday of the Moyed, of the Yomtev, the weekday Yomtev or the Yomtev weekday. And therefore we've got to remember that these days, which is from... And uh, we're ready today on the third such day. It is the third day of Chol Hamoed today. The first one was, of course, on Monday, public holiday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, tomorrow, the last day of Chol Hamoed, these intermediate days. And, of course, during these days... Several things of weekday apply and several things of yomtiv apply. And even if we take a look at our daily prayers, if we look at our davening. Um, for Shachrit, Mincha and Mayriv, we're davening. We say in our prayers the weekday kind of davening. We add in the little part for um, yomtiv, the Ya Lev prayer that is said in our Amidah. And um, that is done on all three, um, of the davenings of Shachrit, of Mincha, and of Ma'ariv. And then, of course, we have in the Shachrit prayer, we have a little bit of Moed. First of all, there is a Torah reading, which takes place every day of Chol Moed. There is Hallel, which is said every day, albeit during Pesach, the latter days of Pesach. It is only the, what is known as the half Hallel. We leave out two paragraphs of the Hallel, as you would see in your Machzor or in your uh, Siddur. And um, once Hallel is completed And Torah reading is completed We then do a Musaf An additional service um, Which of course is only really done On a Yom Tov, on a Chag Or of course on Rosh Chodesh as well And um, that brings the Moed part Into the prayer service But more than that uh, We're supposed to bring the Moed part Of uh, the week into our daily, daily practice It is not just Any other day, it's not just any other weekday Yes, of course, something will tell you that From the foods that you're eating That you'll know that it's Pesach Because of all the different foodstuffs And the fact that we are not eating Any chametz and we can't just go out To eat um, in any of the restaurants There are only one or two places Where one can And so much of our time is spent eating um, hopefully at home and eating, of course, Pesach, dikha foods, foods that are uh, kosher for Pesach. And we're doing all of that and uh, involved with all of that, of course, on Chol HaMoyed. But it is the Moed. It is the day of a Chag. It is a Yom tov day, and we therefore need to make sure that we impact upon and we impress upon um, ourselves that during this time we um, have the feeling of the Chag, the feeling of the Yom tov that we refrain from doing things that uh, ordinarily would be done during the weekday. Um, it would not be a time to start um, fixing your house. It would not be a time to start painting or uh, uh, doing the extra gardening that you thought that you hadn't. Had an opportunity to do We refrain from anything that is Unnecessary that wouldn't be needed um, As a manner of work For the Chag, for the festival And um, we Do our utmost to keep that up And to make sure that we do celebrate This Chol Hamoyed uh, Correctly, properly And in the fullest sense of the word So that is this Chol Hamoyed period that we're in at the moment. Each day has a slightly different emphasis I guess. I suppose that there are many people who just are counting the days away and you would have realized that once we reached today, the third day of Chol Hamoyed, we're already into the latter part of the festival because here in the diaspora of course um, we celebrate eight days of Pesach and this of course is already believe it or not day number five um, and um, therefore sort of the countdown um, to When are we going to get normal food And when are we going to feel full again And when we're going to be able to eat All those wonderful things That we do throughout the year Um, There may be that kind of a headspace But we need to remember That this is precious precious time Of a Chag Of a festival Of a Yom Tov Chol HaMoyed Which we um, really want to practice We want to do uh, properly and correctly Right up until the end Well before we get to the latter part of Yom There is something very important That is a little bit unusual That we need to take care of And that we need to do tomorrow Tomorrow is Erev Yomtev, tomorrow is the day before a Yomtev, so somehow it is a Thursday with a bit of a Friday feeling, I guess, because in the evening is already a Yomtev, the latter part, the seventh and the eighth days that we go into, um, which will be, of course, Thursday night, Friday, Friday night, and Shabbat, the last two days of Pesach, um, ending off this part of um, this very, very beautiful festival. When we um, enter into that period of time, ordinarily there's not um, that much unusual that has to be taken care of on the day before the Yom Tov, the usual. We need to prepare candles to light. We need to make sure that we have our table set and kiddush and so on ready. And we need to light a candle that will burn for 24 hours so that on the Second night, which uh, this is going to be Friday evening um, at the correct time before Shabbat actually comes in, women need to make sure that they light their um, Shabbat candles and they may not strike a match. They need to light from an existing flame and therefore the Yorzeit candle, the 24-hour candle, which is made particularly to last for the 24 hours, should be lit before the Chag, before the Yomtif, but that would apply to all of them. We have something unusual when we go from a Yom Tov into a Shabbat that needs to be done tomorrow. And we're going to have such a thing because Friday is followed by Shabbat. Now on a Chag, like Pesach or Sukkot or Shavuot, when they fall out on a otherwise weekday. Um, We are permitted To prepare food, we're permitted to cook And so on, of course always From an existing flame or From an oven or stove that is turned on But we may do food preparation For that particular day, and that's the Allowance, it's for that particular day What happens, however, in the um, Advent of a Or in the case of a Friday Leading into Shabbat, when we Have, like this week, we have Friday is Yom Tov and then Shabbat Following thereafter, on Shabbat it's Once Friday night comes in, once it gets dark on Friday night and we've lit the Shabbat candles, we may not do anything in the realm of cooking um, and uh, baking or uh, anything like that um, in order to prepare for Shabbat or in order to cater for Shabbat. All the rules of Shabbat um, we know from week to week and uh, they do kick in as soon as Shabbat occurs. So we need to do something. On the Friday in order to prepare for Shabbat In order to allow ourselves to do that We need to make something that is called an Eruv Tafshilin Now if you take a look in the back of your Siddur, Look up Eruv Tafshilin You'll see that it is all about what we've got to do on this Thursday In order to be able to prepare on Friday In order to be able to eat what we ordinarily would eat on Shabbat We'll talk a little bit more about that after this short break This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi, and welcome back. Great to be with you this afternoon. And we were chatting about the latter days of Pesach, Cholam Moed, and the preparations that we have to make for those latter days. And we were speaking about the concept of an Eruv tafshilin, Eruv tafshilin. Now, we've all probably heard about the idea of an A roof. What is an A roof? Most people would know an A roof to be um, the uh, poles that you see around with the strings attached um, at various intersections, at various junctures around our city, which make an A roof, which literally Privatize an otherwise known public space into enabling us to be able to carry on Shabbat um, in those areas. The word Eruv really means a mixture, and what actually happens is that since there is a doubt as to whether the public space that we're talking about is really classically a public spa- space, our rabbis permitted, in the, according to rabbinic law, that we could make a, a plan whereby we can semi-privatize the area. In other words, there is a buy-in, there is a fencing or a gating of the area and a, a buy-in uh, from the um, community to the city in order to enable... Us to consider for Shabbat The so-called uh, Public areas uh, That we are encircling To privatize them, make them private And therefore there would not be the problem Of carrying from one domain As it's known as to the next Or from public to private or private to public Which we are not allowed to do on Shabbat Now when we talk about There the concept of roof, of mixing, what we really are Permitted then to do is to mix The properties, we're mixing the um, uh, the private and the public space, and enabling us therefore to be able to, with this um, mechanism that we're enabled, enabling our community, enabling our people to carry. Well, <coughs> we do something similar called an eruv, an eruv tafshilin on eruv yomtiv. That is tomorrow. We need to put aside two different foods. Now these two foods Let's not confuse this in any way With Mishloach Manot Where we also needed two foods These should be two foods Which are one cooked and one baked So ordinarily usually people I think would use for On Pesach you'd use a piece of matzah And you would use a piece of cooked food and Let's say like a chicken pulka Or whatever something like that They are put aside They are um, set aside With a blessing With a prayer that is said upon them um, and you'll find all the details. You'll find all the details in the back of your Siddur or in your machzor, talking about an Eruf Tafshilin. So Tafshilin means. Bishul, the word cooked, and Eruv, in order to be able to cook. And what is this Eruv? Well, it mixes the domains once again. It mixes the different uh, uh, statuses of um, uh, the Yomtif and the uh, Erev Yomtif and the Shabbat. So what we're actually doing is we're setting aside this food that is now being prepared on Erev Yomtif and is set aside on Erev Yomtif on the day before, on Thursday. It is set aside. We're going to eat it on Shabbat, and through that mechanism, we have, so to speak, begun our preparations for Shabbat already beforehand and therefore are permitted to continue them, for instance, on Friday afternoon in order to prepare food for Shabbat. So we can only do things that are permitted on Yom Tif, and um, ordinarily for the day itself. Here we're enabling ourselves to prepare on Tov in the same fashion as we would have to prepare on any other Tov. In other words, all the same rules and regulations apply using an existing flame, a stove that has been on, etc., etc., etc. We can't do anything that we couldn't do on Tov otherwise, and then enabling us to have that food uh, prepared for Shabbat. And it only pertains, by the way, to food. We can't do this for all sorts of other stuff that we may need on Shabbat, Um, but it pertains to the preparations that are necessary for eating for food. Of course, you all know that eating is a big part of Judaism, and uh, we want to make sure that we take care of that properly and that we're enabling ourselves and our families to be able to eat properly and correctly on Shabbat. God forbid that anybody should go hungry, and particularly not not on Pesach when, of course, it seems to be like an eight-day fest uh, where we uh, just keep on eating and eating and eating. Um, of course, uh, the matzah and the uh, non-chomets uh, foods don't always uh, satiate you in the same way as the others do and therefore we probably always feel a little short and therefore a little bit hungry and always needing to eat just that little bit more. So the Eruf Tavshilin preparation that is made on Thursday enabling us to be able to prepare on Friday uh, for Shabbat itself so you need to set that aside we would put it away, put it in your refrigerator uh, wherever it's going to be safe um, once you have said the bracha and once you have said the um, paragraph that is written there in Of course, if you don't understand the Aramaic, you may say it in English, um, in which you are actually stating that this food prepared now enables us to be able to cook and prepare on Friday for Shabbat. So just a little token there about Eruv Tavshilin. Something else that's unique that you will notice, and that uh, needs to be regarded for the last nights of Pesach, that is Thursday night and Friday night. Is that it is the only chag, it is the only yomtov in the Jewish calendar of the three festivals and of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and so on. The main major yamim tovim that we do not say the bracha shehechianu. The bracha shehechianu is not said when candles are lit or on kiddush on the two nights of the last. Days of Pesach, so Judaism one oh one point nine wanted you to know that uh, this is, and the next time you're playing some kind of a trivial pursuit with your families, your kids, your loved ones, I guess, your friends and uh, and and congregants, yeah, you can ask the question or answer the question well. That um, the only yomtiv. This is the only yomtiv, the only chag on which the bracha shechianu is not said for kiddush or for candle lighting. So the only bracha that is said when we light our candles um, tomorrow evening is going to be on the yomtiv and um, not shechianu. And the for the second night, yomtiv and Shabbos, Shabbos and yomtiv together um, um, are uh, said in one bracha, and we do not say a bracha on. Shekhi, um, on the Zman, on the time. So, um, we now think about then what do these last days of Yom Tif actually represent? Why do we have them at all? Well, we've got to remember that these are not Rabbinic in any way It is biblical It comes from the Bible itself And the Torah itself spells out That the last day of Pesach Is a special day It is a special day The seventh day of Pesach um, Of course in the diaspora We celebrate an eighth day as well Which this year falls out Quite beautifully on Shabbat too It often does that way It often is lined up like this And um, the uh, preparation that needs to be made beforehand, of course, is exactly like all the others. But what do these days actually represent? What do they actually mean? Well, if we take a look at it historically, the history of the Jewish people leaving Egypt was that they um, left Egypt on um, – well, it's almost a week ago already that they left Egypt, um, which is commemorated by the first Seder and the uh, beginning of Pesach. And um, the leaving of Egypt was not yet uh, definitive in that it didn't actually get us out of the country. It didn't actually get us to safety because we know that soon afterwards Pharaoh and his merry men chased after us and caught up with us at the Red Sea. Well, the time of arrival at the Red Sea and the splitting of the Red Sea and those beautiful and incredible miracles which took us out of there for once and for all um, actually happened one week after we had left Egypt. So the seventh day, the seventh night, and the seventh day of Pesach, actually, and of course by osmosis, the eighth, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a moment, the uh, seventh and eighth days commemorate Kriyat Yamsuf, the splitting of the Red Sea, which took place all those thousands of years ago um, and actually saw our people out of Egypt uh, for once and for all, and the conquest of the uh, marauding Egyptian armies and the wicked Pharaoh who had literally put us to the sword um, and then some in a a terrible bondage from which we were able to be freed by our exodus and then, of course, by the splitting of the Red Sea. Now, the splitting of the Red Sea um, was, um, of course, seen as um, and is always seen as something that in a way is deemed to be partially unnecessary and uh, partially quite strange in the way that it is actually described. So let's think about the unnecessary. Um, There was clearly a better way for us to have gone about our business of getting to Israel, and that was actually walking on dry land. There was actually a dry land connection uh, between Egypt and Israel. It seems to be that we had opted already for um, standing next to the banks of the Red Sea, and uh, we're going to make some sort of efforts to cross it when the Egyptians approached us. That certainly seems to be the direction that we were going, and why? Because the Torah itself tells us that it wasn't going to take us too close to the land of the Philistines. We didn't want God didn't want us to have to engage in war, and perhaps a war on the way would uh, deflate everybody and make people think, you know. Why did we have to leave Egypt in order to be able, in order to have, a um, have to fight our way uh, to get to Israel, to get to the place um, of promise? So, uh, why did we ha- have to cross the Red Sea in the first place? Well, it seems to be that there was a very, very deep and profound meaning, um, in a spiritual sense, behind the crossing of the Red Sea, and then we can magnify the question by saying that if we think about it, and we actually said it um, just a few days ago in our Dayenu at our Pesach Seder, when we were sitting at the Pesach Seder, if you remember correctly, we spoke about um, had God not done this, we uh, that would have been enough. Had he just done that, that would have been enough. And as we go along in Dayenu, which means enough, it would have been enough. And one of the things that we mentioned there is the crossing of the Red Sea on dry land. Had we... Um, gotten out of Egypt, he didn't have to uh, make the crossing of the Red Sea on dry land. What does it mean, the crossing of the Red Sea um, on dry land? Well, if you think about it, um, and I'm sure you have, there are many ways that we possibly could have uh, walked across the Red Sea. Even if God was going to show us great miracles and split the waters, we could have walked through on muddy land, on regular land, regular sand or silt or um, mush, whatever it is, that is at the bottom of the ocean. And that would have made a little more sense. If the water has just pulled back, it stands to reason that the sand underfoot would be soggy and it would be damp and it would be moist. Why? Why did it have to be dry land? Well, There are so many beautiful, beautiful interpretations and it takes us to a great in-depth study perhaps about what the crossing of the Red Sea is actually all about. If we think about um, the idea of dry land versus um, sea, um, Kabbalistic writers and Hasidic philosophy tells us that um, there is a pretty obvious um, a way of looking at it all. Things that are on dry land, when we take a look outside and we look at the things that are on dry land, we can see them all. We know what we're getting. We know what we see. We look out the window. We see trees. We see plants. When you go to the uh, Kruger Park or to the zoo, you see animals. We see the people who are who walking around in the street and so on. We see these things. It's all above ground. It's all visible. It's all there. The sea is much more mystical. The sea has things... Um, and every facet that is covered by the water is hidden from our sight. We cannot see it. When you look out to see, all you see is water. You see the water. You don't. Realize that there is a whole world beneath it Well there are similar Components of uh, the human condition Of human beings, of our souls Of ourselves and the way Not only we look at ourselves but the way we look at others And the way we are and that is that there are Parts of us, there are facets that are out there That are uh, prominent That are dominant and that are Um, visible, that everybody can look at, can gawk at, can um, take to heart and can think about. And then there is the stuff, there is everything that is hidden, the things that are hidden beneath the, the surface. And very often our conflicts in life are between those two realms, the parts that are out there, the parts that are visible, and the parts that are hidden. And perhaps we could draw an analogy, of course, we can draw an analogy between the Red Sea And the idea of sea and land and then the concept of the splitting of the sea and being and exposing the dry land. And perhaps one of the ideas that uh, we could share is um, the idea of us needing to try and make compatible our outward beings, our visible, our dry land with our concealed with the things that are hidden. We know deep in our hearts that there are certain things that uh, we would love to do. We need to do. We want to do. We want to have as part of our our souls and our spiritual and godly makeup. And yet there is so much out there that I need to do as a facade. I need to pretend and I need to make sure that everybody perceives me in a certain fashion. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could align both the, both of those and make the hidden uh, like the dry land, make the hidden into the dry land. And is that not a very beautiful description of what Kriyat Yamsuf or what the splitting of the Red Sea is truly all about? This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. So, coming back to you about the last days of Pesach, which we've been talking about the idea of Kriyat Yamsuf, the splitting of the Red Sea, and what it means to us. Well, the uh, real idea, I suppose, in a spiritual sense, is that we're each supposed to split our own Red Sea. We're to try as far as possible, not only to um, have gained the redemption that we received, that we got, Um, When we left Egypt, but to – and all that it represented of uh, liberation and of uh, the Khamets dominant over the Matzah and all of that stuff. But um, in addition to that, we certainly should have and we needed to um, or we need to ensure – that we learn something more than that. We need to make sure that the matzah and uh, the lack of chameis and all the things that we have learned over Pesach actually have a greater impact on us and they allow us to really be the um, spiritual Uh, Godly souls that we are meant to be that we were designed to be um, in order to bring ourselves home and make ourselves really um, fulfilled in every possible fashion and perhaps that's what these last days of Pesach actually represent. So now there is an old, an old uh, uh, tradition that um, on the last, the second last night of Pesach, which is the seventh night, which is Thursday night, that many and in many shuls around town and around the world, people stay up all night or uh, if you're not able to get to shul, stay up at home. And uh, there is a special tikkun, a tikkun leil. Um, most know best the Tikkun Leil for Shavuot, but there is a Tikkun Leil also for Hoshana Rabbah, for the last night of Sukkot, and then, of course, for the seventh night of Pesach as well, um, during which many, many parts of Torah are studied or learnt or said, prayers are done, and so on. And um, that takes place, of course, on the seventh night, which is the night of the splitting of the Red Sea, and then in the morning. We hopefully have accomplished what we need to have accomplished by the splitting of that Red Sea. The um, eighth day of Pesach, which is Shabbat, is uh, unique in that it um, has a number of unique features. Number one being the fact that we do say Yiskor. Yiskor is said on the last day of Pesach, as it is on the uh, a last day of every Yom Tif, second day of Shavuot, um the uh, eighth day of uh, Sukkot, Shmini Atzeret, It is done on Yom Kippur as well. And it's done on the eighth day of Pesach. So Yiskur will be said in shuls around the world on um, Shabbat even though it is Shabbat, Yitzchor is still said on that day because of the Chag, because of the Yom Tov. And then in the afternoon, later afternoon, there is a beautiful Hasidic tradition um, founded by, started by the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidism, who um, instituted the concept of a Su'udat Mashiach, that on the last day of Pesach, on Shabbat afternoon, at the time that we would be having Sudash Lishit, the third Shabbat meal, that we actually make that meal into a Mashiach's meal now because Pesach is all about redemption and because we sat at the Pesach Seder and we said those words next year in Jerusalem. We know that, um, we, um, are not really, um, true to this whole concept of redemption, of freedom, of liberation, or we haven't yet accomplished everything about it until Mashiach will have come and until we're actually out of Golis, out of diaspora altogether, um, whether it's personal, or whether it's actually physical or it's, um, national, um, but we strive for that, we reach for that, we yearn for that. And one of the days that it is commemorated and celebrated most prolifically is on the last day of Pesach when everything is really messianic from the Haftorah that is read on that day through to the idea that the Baal Shem Tov instituted the idea that at the end of the day we have a Sudat Mashiach really being able to or trying to focus on the ultimate goal. At that suda, he instituted the idea of drinking four cups of wine, um, of eating matzah, and of sharing thoughts about and of uh, thinking about the advent of Mashiach, um, the ultimate redemption, the ultimate geula, that it wasn't just about getting out of Egypt, but ultimately it's about reaching that destination of Lashon HaAbab Yerushalayim. Be back with you to sum up in just a moment. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. So as we turn to face the last days of Pesach and uh, we think about the upcoming Yom Tov, um, remember that it is all about splitting of the Red Sea. Remember that it's all about gaining that real ultimate push into something that is futuristic, something that seems seems to be or seemed to have been far beyond us. When the Jewish people stood on the banks of the Red Sea, nothing could have been further from uh, the realm of possibility than uh, reaching the other side. And yet the miracles happened and all that it took was for the people to have that faith to uh, put their feet in the water um, to realize that there was one job that God had asked them to do which was to reach the other side, to get to Mount Sinai and to move forward and that was what they needed to do and that was what they had to do. Remember that that is really what these last days of Pesach are really all about. It's not just about the eats and um, the do's and don'ts of Pesach, but it's about achieving something spiritual, about reaching beyond ourselves, about reaching beyond Beyond What we thought was possible about revealing that which is hidden beneath the surface of the sea, turning it into dry land. And remember, let me leave you with this, that obstacles are not interruptions to the journey. They are the journey. If we keep marching towards the promised land, every challenge along the way will give you deeper insight and renewed power. Just have faith. It will split your sea. I want to wish you a great Yomtev up ahead. Um, today we say Moed Tov or Good or, uh, Moyed. Um, for the last days we say Good Yom Tov and then Good Shabbos and Good Yom Tov for uh, Shabbat itself. I want to wish you a great rest of Pesach and hopefully we come out the other side far, far better people and far more focused on what we should be doing and where our spirituality needs to lead us. Take care and I'll be back with you, please God, again next week on Judaism 101.9.